Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. And I'm Daniel Janine, a producer at Eater. Uh, We are still doing this show from separate countries, Canada and America. And this week, Amanda, we are talking over Zoom to Tom Colicchio, the famous New York chef, the famous top chef, host chef, and now arguably the most prominent figure in food, working uh, with the government on the stimulus package. Last week, the CARES Act had just passed, so we kind of talked about it in broad strokes, and we promised that this week we would be back with a little more context with someone who actually knows what's going on, and so we have delivered on that promise. I, I think it's important to note at this point that we've never promised anything before, so... This is the first promise. We're actually one for one on promises. Yeah. Tom worked with uh, legislators to form this bill, uh, so he can t- he's going to talk a little bit about that process, but he also can speak to what the bill does well and what the bill does not do and what we need to still have done in terms of stimulus. So this is not the end. No, uh, I think for Tom, really, it's a cliche, but it's just the, just the beginning. He's... On on one hand, at Capitol Hill, dealing with legislators, but on the other hand, he's on the phone with his like wine purveyors and stuff. So I, I think he's actually the perfect person who's in the middle of it all. Yeah, he's definitely in the mix. Uh, so we're going to talk to Tom, and then we are going to talk about the general state of the industry right now. As you all know, it is changing every day. So we're going to talk about some uplifting stories, some depressing stories, some bad actors. Um, maybe we'll throw a mention to good actors like Liz Warren. Um, all right, here's Tom Colicchio. Tom, welcome to the Digest. Thank you. Uh, first, I want to establish how many restaurants you have, how m- what the state of your restaurant group is. Is everything closed? How many people did you have to lay off just to lay the groundwork there? I laid off um, probably about 350 in the restaurants. And then separately, Witchcraft laid off about 75, 80 people as well. Wow. Um, mm. uh, it's a separate separate business. but uh, So yeah, it's a, a bunch of people. Yeah, and we're not operating. None of our restaurants are open. Um, I chose not to do delivery. Um, I chose to keep my employees safe. Was that um, a tough decision for you, or was it pretty straightforward? No, a very simple decision to, to you know, I mean, I, I closed um, before um, we were forced to close. Um, uh, I'm a bit of a news junkie and, and was, you know, watching what was happening in China. Um and probably three weeks before we closed, I got my staff together, my senior staff together and said, you know, I'm, I don't like what I'm seeing. If this gets here, it, there's going to be some major disruptions. And so we kind of had a little bit of a plan. A week later, uh, it was clearly getting worse. Stopped buying wine. Um, 
uh, stop buying any non-essentials. So we were really down to food, labor, um, weren't buying any office supplies and things like that. And we initiated a 10% cut, pay cut on the senior management team. And then two days later, it was clear it was getting worse. And at that point, I remember I did uh, two events in a row. One was the um, Koshon 555. And we came very close to canceling that. And then we had a fundraiser for uh, Food and Finance High. Mm-hmm. I, I left halfway through. I just started you know, feeling like this is not a good place to be mm-hmm. with all these people. And the next day, I, I pretty much made a decision that um, um, if I wasn't going to go out in, in public and socialize, I can't ask my staff to do it. And um, we closed that Sunday night. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's tough because, you know, I know how, how tight people are in the restaurant industry and, and just thinking that, uh, um, you know, not knowing how long it was going to take, you know, no, knowing I had a pretty good idea of where the first stimulus package was going um, and knew that unemployment was going to be pretty robust. Um, you know, I, I told everybody quickly sign up. Um, because the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to get through. Uh, they were really great about it. And they were like, Hey, we understand. And, and, uh, so how did you transition into getting involved with this politically? Well, you know, I, I gotta say, um, I, I credit, uh, my wife's film, uh, the place to table because, um, that was, that kind of first got me around to the idea of, of hunger. I mean, our, our, the thesis of our film was that, you know, charity is all great to manage hunger, but it's not going to end hunger. And if we're serious about ending hunger in this country, we need, we need a government, a bigger government response than we're getting right now. And then if you take that pivoting to food policy action, where a lot of the work that I was doing uh, was on the Hill, uh, meeting with members of Congress and kind of stating, uh, you know, lobbying for the various things that we were fighting for, was kind of a dress rehearsal for this moment. Right. And... Um, uh, a friend of a friend of mine, Andrew Chasen, who's a, an agent at CAA, called me up and said, "Listen, we have a foundation at CAA, and we want to help." And I kind of, you know, brushed him off a little bit and said, "Listen, this, this, this is enormous. It's not going to help. Like, we need we need stimulus that's going to help the restaurant." And after I got off the phone with him, a buddy of mine who I lobbied with um, at, at Food Policy Action called me up about something completely separate. And after talking to him. Uh, about 10 minutes later, I sent him a, a text and said, I think the independent restaurant community needs a lobbyist. And he was like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. And so um, I called Andrew back and I said, Andrew, okay, here's who you can help. Within two days, we had the money, we had lobbyists hired, we had a commons director hired. Right. And we also found is, and so very quickly pulled together these constituencies and started the independent restaurant coalition which is now over a thousand members strong we're managing this and so we were instrumental in two things for the restaurant industry one there was a limit to 500 employees um that can participate um in uh, the care act small business act the sb7a and um we had to explain that yes you know a restaurant may have 2,000 employees but it may be spread over 18 restaurants and so we lobbied to look at the individual restaurant numbers as opposed to the whole enterprise. And they actually put that in there for restaurants. Yeah. And uh, we also pushed really hard to, to get the date pushed back to February 15th, because that's when the restaurant industry started feeling the pain, not March mm-hmm. 1st, which is going to be helpful. And we're continuing to, uh, to work um, with the rules on, even though the bill is passed, there's still rules need to be uh, instituted. And right. that's a, a separate process. And so we're still working to try to, these uh, the mechanics of the bill 
and we're also um, you know at the table um, trying to 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 you know, craft a you know forum what that's going to look like. So can you get into the bill a little bit uh, into the CARE Act and what it gets right, and then we can talk a little bit about what still needs to be done. Well, what I think it gets right on again on the small business portion of it, the the SB seven A. I think what it gets right is it's focusing on the employees, um, and there is some focus on the businesses as well. And obviously, I think employees need to be need to be taken care of for a lot of reasons. One, um, need peace of mind that you're going to get a paycheck that there's money coming through, that they can pay the bills they have. Plus, I think it's really important that people with children stay home, especially now the kids aren't in school. There's no such thing as daycare at this point. You know, people who work and have young children at home, maybe they have an aunt or an uncle who comes in, a grandmother who comes in. We don't want to do that right now. We need grandparents to stay home, people to stay in their house. And so peace of mind knowing that you're going to have money coming through to pay your bills, that gets people to stay home. The only way we're going to actually stop this disease is by people staying home. Mm. So number two, it does take care of rent. Um, there's additional money that you can use for various things that won't be forgiven, but it'll be a loan. Right now, early on in the bill, it was a 10-year amortization schedule on the portion that was a loan. That got changed to two years uh, at, at 0.50 uh, interest rate. Um, I'd rather have you know, 0.50 in 10 years to pay that loan back. And then it makes sense for the restaurant industry. A two-year amortization schedule for the restaurant industry doesn't really help that much. Um, so also, I think the mechanics of you know getting uh, 250% of payroll, so it roughly gives us two and a half, to, you know, three months maybe to, to, to pay payroll. Um, I think that needs to be at least five months. I don't see us opening up in, in June. I think that there needs to be additional funding uh, that could either be a long-term loan or, or additional grant money. So restaurants could capitalize, um, get reopened because um, we have to buy inventory. Most likely we have to pay our suppliers at some point or they're going to put us on COD and we're not going to get product. All right, what does that stand for? Cash on delivery. Um, so we'd have to pay cash for our deliveries. But like right now, you know, we're most of us are on 30 to 45 days, you know, where we were the money we're making today is paying bills from 45 days ago or 30 days ago. So we'd have to actually write them a check when they deliver food, which is difficult to do. The other thing is, we, we, we were lobbying really hard that we wanted money to pay our bills now because I thought it was really important to keep those supply chains open. And so if you look at you know, the independent restaurants, uh, we employ about 11 million people. If you take into consideration the entire orbit of, and, and the, the various industries that we support, whether it's fishermen, farmers, you know, cheesemakers, wine growers, linen, florists, we're probably talking about 20 million people. And so we thought it was important that the money flows through the restaurants to also pay those bills. Right. Plus, really important, when we open up, um, for those of us that will open up, I, I still don't think this, this will ensure that all restaurants open up. It's not going to be busy. And if a restaurant's not running at you know 80% occupancy, you're not making money. And so what we don't want to do is have restaurants open up with pick a date, September 1st, um, which I think is a realistic date. Um, we're not going to be busy. And you don't want those restaurants opening up for two months and going out of business because then everybody's going to be out of work again. And so I think the federal government needs to backstop these restaurants and figure out a mechanism to do that until we get to a certain level of business um, where we can stand on our own. Um, So I think think the CARE Act is a good start. I just don't think it goes far enough. So when you started looking at the bill, who... 
who was actually writing it and and what did it look like when you first got there? Set aside Marco Rubio because he's he's the head of the small business community. A lot of the a lot of it was coming out of his office. Um, uh, on the Senate side, it's the Nadia Velasquez. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, on the House side, who's the Democrat who runs uh, who runs the SBA committee, who has also been diagnosed with COVID nineteen, so she's now on the sidelines. So th- those are people who are writing it, but it's the staffers that are writing it, and there's a lot of different people that are that are um, weighing in on it. A lot of major restaurant chains uh, had some influence over it, right? So yeah, and you know, we actually uh, had a conference call with the NRA and, and just let them know what we were doing, and you know. Maybe we agree on seventy five percent of of uh, of uh, what they're asking for, but the twenty five percent made my diversion. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had a seat at the table. We we weren't going to let um, uh, the NRA represent all of us. And again, I'm not saying that they're they're they do a bad job, but they just have their their interests are also other you know other places. And you know, that's fine. They they represent uh you know, larger chains and publicly traded chains. And so they, that's their constituents and that's fine. The other thing that we did is collectively, um, we all um, have contacts on the Hill, whether House members or senators, and we all work those contacts. And really what it was about was just telling our story because we had to educate uh, members of Congress about how our restaurants run and how they operate. Um, uh, there's several people who were helpful to me, uh, Rose Delora, who's a congresswoman from Connecticut who uh, does a lot of work around hunger. That's how I know her. And Jim McGovern, who is uh, the best member of Congress uh, who works on hunger issues. Cory Booker is a, a you know personal friend of us, both being from New Jersey, and a uh, great guy. So I had some conversations with Corey. So, you know, we all have, uh, you know, again, because we're running businesses and, and, you know, people like to entertain in restaurants. And so we have contacts. And so we really work them hard. But it was really just about getting getting everybody up to speed. At what was what was at stake if uh, restaurants weren't included? And this right. is our, our continuing conversation that we're having with them. And are you guys working on a follow up bill asking for more money? Absolutely, a follow up four uh, O, um, looking for longer periods of time where we can employ people, um, looking for additional loans, long-term loans. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're still, we're still at it. You know, right now, here's the, here's the problem. If I could pay my staff for two and a half months, the question is, when do I hire them back? Now I have to hire them back right now by June 30th. Um, and so if I do it too soon, I'm going to run out. So if, if, let's just say I hire them all tomorrow. Right. And it takes three months to open up and I'm at open in three months. Now I'm out of that money. Okay, so for me, because the way this bill is written, it's better for me to actually hire everybody back by mid June. This way, I have them on a payroll for two and a half months. They're not working; we're not open, but now they're ready to go when I open September first. If that's the date I choose, and what's really important—it's important for two reasons. Because yes, unemployment's robust, but there's two reasons why it's important. I think for one, from a restaurateur to want to, um, I want to make sure. When I open, I have my staff that's already trained. Um, you know, I, as you guys, in five or six other restaurants, every restaurant is very particular, not only to how the operation runs, but just the physical space mm-hmm. um, where everybody knows, you know, when they take an order, what foot to turn on to go to the, to, you know, the POS to put the order in. They know where to turn to go towards the bar. When you're new, you can't, you got to navigate that. That's, that's hard. So when we open up, I want a staff that's trained, ready to go. And so 
you know, it's really important that that we don't have to sort of make decisions between when to bring the staff back. I want to bring them all back now, but if I do, I'm concerned. Months from now, this isn't going to be over. We're not going to be ready to open up. They're back on unemployment, and now I'm done. I have I have no lifeline left. Yeah. So, um, and this is part of the, part of the education here. Um, this is this again is part of the education that we have to provide to members of Congress, just sort of the, what they actually did and how it actually works now. Um, so again, first good step. I'm glad that you know the the, the partisan bickering was put aside. Um, at least that will, that's what we're hearing. Even whatever you saw on TV, that was just politics. But you know, it's really good to see the officials get together, get this done. But we we do need more. And what about local governments? What are you calling on them to do? that they can do on their own? Yeah, so Roar um, uh, is another group that popped up uh, in New York City. And uh, they're doing, uh, you know, what we're asking for is some rent relief, uh, rent abatements. Again, though, there is money there in the CARE Act to pay rent. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I believe um, Robin, to see, I, I haven't seen it yet, and I haven't, I haven't spent much time looking for it, but I think we need, um, you know, because of the size of the problem, and there's so many foundations and charities popping up, I, I think we need to focus on just paying health bills for any restaurant worker that is, uh, you know, as a hospital stay, you know, it's not going to be a, a t- hopefully not a lot of people um, relative to, to what we're seeing right now, but those are going to be pretty big bills. It'd be great that to, for them to know that uh, those bills are going to get paid because that could, that could bankrupt you for it can really screw you for years. And so I think I, I, that's what I'd like to see paid through some of these funds. You know, that said, I, I think our governor is doing a, a great job. Um, <laughs> Uh, um, you know, he's, you know, telling us, you know, how it is. He's not sugarcoating it and, um, he's not playing politics, but please just being honest. And- what about, uh, the GoFundMes you see popping up everywhere? Uh, do you think that those are helping restaurants? Is it too small to make a difference? Is it a dis- distraction? No, I think for the individual restaurants, I think it's pretty good. Um, my concern with that is just in the messaging. You know, if if we if if we are looking for a four O and then a five O, what I don't want to do is have the public say, "Well, wait a minute, why do restaurants need all this bail- you know tax dollars to bail them out? Look at all these GoFundmes and these charities are popping up, taking care of the restaurant industry. Right. They don't need this. Mm. That's the danger. That's also the danger, I think, in opening up and doing takeout. And you know, you're doing four thousand dollars in a day, and you're employing four or five people, and you know, the waitstaff's not getting taken care of. Um, and Again, it gives the, the, the public the idea that, well, they're still open. Like, look at all this business they're doing. There's a line down the street for a Carbone, you know, $60 real Parmesan's. And, and why do they need help? Right. It's just the wrong message right now. And so that's what I'm afraid is that when people are going to start, I'm already seeing it on social media. Why does this person need this, you know, help? And uh, why do rest? That's their problem. And you, you just, I, I don't think it's helpful. That said, yeah, is it good for the individual? Yeah, but again, this is this is the response. That, that, and this, you know, we knew it was coming. Everyone just immediately goes to charity, like, and and I understand the response. It's a good response for someone to say, "I want to help." Mm-hmm. I have a few dollars, and I want to help. And this is how I can do it. Well, what I want people to understand is, along with writing that that check for a couple hundred dollars to support your favorite restaurant, pick up the phone and call your member of Congress to say, "I want this restaurant to be there." That happened. Have to happen together. And if this next bill doesn't pass, what is in your mind the estimate for the closures we're going to see? Like, what do you think we're going to be looking at come September? I, I think two things. I think that, I mean, I put it at 50%. Um, I mean, when you think about 
restaurants. I mean, you got to think about a little more, uh, take this the wrong way, a little bit more than the restaurants that Eater were reporting on. Um, and you guys do a great job also getting out of the bro stuff. Think about all these restaurants in Queens that, you know, all neighborhood restaurants that maybe don't have the wherewithal to even understand what's going on right now and how to tap into that loan or the money they can get from the, through, through, through Congress. You know, the number, I don't know, 40%, 50%, but that's not even the number I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about after we get through this, the restaurants that open up, but then close two months later, three months later, a year later. I mean, listen, you guys report, you guys see the closings. You, you look at them every month. We were in for, for some tough times before this. You know, the restaurant industry has been just, just it's, it's, been, it's been rough lately. And rents are, are, especially in New York City, rents just keep going up. I have no problem with, with, with paying people more money. I have a problem with not being able to charge more for food mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, there's, there's only so much you can, you can, you can charge. And um, certain restaurants may have a little bit of elasticity where they can charge more to cover those costs. But where is it coming from? I mean, most restaurateurs that I know, they barely, you know, they eat out 2%, 3% bottom line. So, I mean, it, it was already, it was already tough. And I, I just think that, you know, looking at a year from now, I'd be surprised if half the restaurants in your city are in business. I guess one, one quick question I saw on, on Twitter that someone said, uh, Forbes reported this guy's got 20 mil. Why doesn't he just figure it out? And then you said, <laughs> well, I should take this article to my bank and see if they'll just, you know, write me a check for $20 million. Right. Um, number one, don't, don't believe everything you read. Um, I, I wish I were worth that. Most people also don't understand that whatever net worth that I have, um, it's wrapped up in my business, which is now worth nothing. Yeah. Um, and so, in fact, there are liabilities. And most people don't understand like the liability side of this. You know, I, I live a comfortable life because of TV, but it's it'd be great if I had $20, $20 million right now that I can write checks on, but I, I, I don't have that. So um, yeah. my, bankers, my bankers would laugh at that. Um, anyway, um, you know, also, I think if you, if you looked at that, that, uh, um, that thread, uh, a lot of people were very, very quick to point out how long can you actually pay this payroll before the restaurant goes bankrupt right. and then there's no restaurant for employees to come back to? Right. And that's what you got to focus on. Making sure, and this is what's really important, making sure that after this crisis, get back open so we can employ as many people as possible and we can do that for a good length of time. Uh, we don't want to have people come back to work and then a month later, they're all back on unemployment. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Amanda, we will be back after this with uh, our recap of what's going on in the restaurant world. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's 
S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Amanda, we're back. It is time for us to run through the state of affairs in a loose, uplifting format. A com- very conversational is what we do here. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it may or may not be uplifting, but we'll try to bring some energy well, to it. Well, speaking of uplifting, um, I feel like there is no time better than right now to introduce, you don't even know what I'm going to tell you right now, but to but oh to introduce a new reoccurring segment, hopefully every week on the show. And it is called, I don't know what's called yet, something food pun. And it's where you don't know what's coming. I give you one food pun and see whether or not I can get you to laugh. Oh God. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I mean, I will laugh with discomfort, that kind of laugh. You know what? I'll take you know. what I can get. Okay. All right. This one, um, I think in the future, I'm going to have to find them online. But actually, this one I came up with myself. I made it. Oh, wow. I made it up in a meeting. I'm in a meeting I was in. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. An original. And I stopped the meeting to tell everyone the <laughs> joke. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. Here, here it goes. Ready? Yes. How do you uh, protect the lactose intolerant people how keep them out of parm's way oh jesus <laughs> all right should we get into it <laughs> yeah let's get into it so i think the big thing to talk about this week and we alluded to it a little bit last week is the drop off of restaurants and restaurant groups from doing delivery at all yeah so last week we talked about how andy ricker and his pock pock restaurant stopped doing delivery after floyd cardo's died mm-hmm. uh this week we've seen it become more widespread donald link in new orleans stopped delivering for all of his restaurants a uh, one-off hospitality which is a huge restaurant group in chicago stopped delivering uh and i think more and more people are following suit Yeah, I I quickly would like to uh, throw back to what Tom was saying about it, um, where he he was saying, you know, for me, it's an easy decision. Um, It's between whether or not I keep my restaurant workers safe. Yeah. I don't blame any restaurateurs for trying it or for keeping it going. I think it's the responsibility of the government and to and the CDC to shut restaurants down if they don't want them to be open if they're giving them the chance, I think it's okay for them to try it as long as they're doing it in a responsible way. Right. I think for some people, it is a very straightforward decision of like, I think this is dangerous. I don't want to do it. I don't think we can do it in a safe way. And for so many other people, it's incredibly complicated because they feel like they can do it in a safe way. They feel like they're supporting their staff by doing it. They feel like this might be the only way they can get by. Yeah. Like we will close if we do not do this. And they think it's a way of maybe supporting their regulars. Yeah. Like I, I'm going to say that I am grateful for the restaurants that do, that are still offering things as conflicting as it is. And what that means, offering things, is different from restaurant to restaurant. So some people are just, you know, doing their same menu Mm -hmm. delivery. Some places, like the my one of my favorite restaurants in my neighborhood, is now doing this kind of grocer takeout situation where you can order booze and like some cooked greens and chicken from them, and you just go up to the window and they pre-box it for you. Anyway, there are a lot of variations of how people are kind of trying to keep business trickling in, Uh, and it's. 
it's conflicting. It's hard. I'm in obviously no position to be making any kind of calculation about this, but I do feel like there is exactly what you're saying. There is value and it is inspiring. It is wonderful to still have an interaction with the places that gave you what you believed before to be a normal life, like your version of a mm-hmm. normal life. Yeah. Also really cool to see the different ways that restaurants are adapting. We're in a in this phase where people are trying to answer impossible questions every day, like in all my group chats, it's like, okay, well, can I ask the neighborhood girl to babysit? Is that an okay thing? And like, no one knows the answer to any of these questions. Yeah. Like, is it okay for my wine shop to be open as long as it's one person at a time? Like, you know, there's, right. it's so hard to know. My mom really wants to have Passover. Uh, it's me, her partner, Lionel, and my brother. We're all in Toronto and she's got a big dining room table. She's like, listen, we sit six feet apart from each other and break unleavened bread is that cool she asked her doctor he said no he said no he said no yeah well he doesn't like passover but um (laughs) it's just interesting so you are still quarantining away from your family yeah and not i haven't even thought about my 14 days or whatever Mm -hmm. i just i just feel like right now the thing i'm doing is not going near anyone but do you think if you stay inside for 14 days then you can just go hang out with your mom without having to worry I mean, about the it. real calculation that I make is, yeah, I can. But then if I go for a walk outside, like if I bump someone or whatever outside. Yeah. How are you getting close enough to bump someone? I, I was on the street. I mean, I'm a clumsy guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're going to love this. I get in my elevator the other day at like two, like one thirty in the morning and like I hit the uh-huh. button and the elevator opens and there was an old woman in the elevator and the doors open and we both scared the living shit out of each other. We were like, <laughs> ah! And then, and then we cracked up and it was lovely. It was funny that that was a nice like we both in the span of half a second realized how funny the situation was and how like we'd been spending all this time stop like preventing uh close proximity and then like we just knew neither of them human yeah, human <laughs> ah what the hell yeah um i mean that it was 1 30 in the morning probably didn't help anyway i think more and more restaurants are going to stop doing delivery and takeout um because they might get increasingly worried about safety, but also as the numbers don't add up. Yeah. For some businesses, it's working. And for some, it's it's not worth it anymore. And I think, again, going back to what 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 Tom was saying, maybe in, in relation to the like the GoFundMe is it is actually could it can be a distraction, right? Like a lot of people, uh, maybe even people in power are thinking, look, they're doing fine. And it takes us away from the bigger picture, which is we need a lot of help. People think like, oh, there's a stimulus package and look, they can do delivery. So everybody's going to be fine. Not realizing that, you know, half the restaurants that you love will be closed. Like I just went to buy some coffee yesterday and my neighborhood coffee shop is going to close. He was like, oh, yeah, we're going to be open for another week and then we're closed forever because I just don't want to have debt. And I'm I know how long this is going to be tragic. Yeah, because he would rather just end this not being in debt to anyone, like pay his last month of rent, close shit down and just be done with it versus this idea of like, okay, maybe in five months we can reopen and then I'm going to owe all this money and have to take out these loans. And yeah, you know why? Yeah. Um. It's like running small businesses. It's not easy in the first place. I think it, it is interesting the restaurants that are doing well with delivery right now. Maybe they have food that's particularly suitable to it. I think it's interesting going forward, like restaurants that are going to open two years from now. It's going to be really hard to shake 
the idea of, well, you know, will this food be good for delivery? You know, whereas Mm -hmm. like I think we'll see fewer and fewer experiential restaurants opening, especially in the next couple of years. Can I use that as a segue into what Alinea's to go dinner looks like? Absolutely. Um, Great. Why would I say no to that? Did you look at it? Yeah. (laughs) Of course. I've seen it. Uh, We've mentioned, I feel like every week, uh, Alinea's to go menu. Alinea, obviously... (laughs) one of the fanciest restaurants in the country. Um, one of the restaurants that of course we would say would be the least likely to do to go ever. Mm-hmm. So kind of mm-hmm. leading the charge on the famous pivots section of this podcast. Let's see. It is $35. All right. The first batch of dinners featuring beef Wellington sold out within five hours. So our editor Ashok uh, ordered one. He has pictures of it. It is a beautiful looking beef Wellington in, you know, an aluminum tin. Yeah. Uh, there's like, there's a little green garnish on it, which I like. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think one fun thing to note is that the creme brulee uh, can be retorched. They suggest if you have a torch at home, you should retorch the creme brulee. Hey, they know their audience. They know. They know what they're doing. Yeah. I'm sure they would not be pleased to see how people are plating these items. It's not how they would plate it at the restaurant, but it looks delicious. Something that stuck out to me, uh, the parsley garnish. It's just like a really lonely looking piece of parsley. I feel like the parsley garnish was kind of like a joke, (laughs) like a wink wink. To me, it more reminded me of like the inedible like diner parsley that you get, you know, like very declassé. And so they're kind of joking that like, okay, we're, we're slumming it. Here's your stupid piece of parsley. Interesting. Okay, I actually disagree. I think it's a throw. I yeah? think it's a throw to traditional French. You think they're trying French. to be actually fancy? I don't think they're putting that much thought in it. It's not like it's a like, wink. I think it's like, well, this looks a little lonely. We should throw some parsley. I in. just feel like if they were really going to go for it with a serious garnish, they wouldn't do one little sprig of like. Okay, but here's my response to that. In the small, parsley. in the small aluminum container with the beef wellington which which takes up most of the container i think the parsley looks like an acceptably sized garnish <laughs> so if you're okay. just opening that okay, i think okay. the parsley yeah. is enough we should we should email them and be like hey is the parsley a joke or not <laughs> <laughs> is it a tongue-in-cheek parsley or is it a serious parsley yeah i think we talked about this before about how it's hard to get excited because of the context of the world that we're living yeah. in but if you can compartmentalize it's kind of exciting to see what people are coming up with. This podcast is the definition of compartmentalization. That's, that's all we do. Again, just to reiterate, it is okay to be happy about really talented chefs making food to to go or for home consumption because yeah. it is cool to watch people who have talent do something else with their talent. Um, it is a sad reality, but it is also cool. So you don't have to you know, be sad that, about it. In the same vein of silver linings, uh, I love that restaurant purveyors are now doing home delivery. Super cool. I'm bummed again that they have to do it. <laughs> again, I'm going to say I'm bummed they have to do it. <laughs> yeah. But psyched. Right. Super psyched. I ordered like this amazing fish from this fish purveyor yeah. called Peerless in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's great. And it's like, I don't know if it's wholesale prices, but it's way cheaper than anything I would get at the Whole Foods or the regular supermarket or even the green market. Mm-hmm. And they dropped it off right to your house? Yeah. In their real truck that they would be driving around to like 11 Madison Park and all those places? Yeah. The idea is that you're supposed to order a lot. So you just try to, I ordered a lot of frozen stuff too. Um, but I did, I did that. I ordered from a meat purveyor. Yeah. 
uh, from a charcuterie and cheese purveyor. I mean, it's it's great. Are you at all interested in ordering like top of the line caviar at wholesale prices? From the restaurant purveyors? No, that, I mean, we, we have a list up on, um, a lot of the sites, but also on the New York site. And that's one of the ones is Regalis is like a truffle and caviar purveyor. And that's not going to be my vibe, but I'm psyched to get local fish. I got some diver scallops, you know? Yeah. I would like to pretend that I wouldn't, uh, at least place one order with Regalis, but like the idea of them showing up with the van, because like their vibe is they bring the thing you want and then they also try to sell you on other stuff. So like, Oh, we have these amazing, like uh, live crabs. And then they open the different parts of it. It feels a bit like James Bond picking up his gadgets for whatever movie he's in. I would be Uh really interested in having at least one of those because usually from six feet away yeah usually they're saving that interaction for like the top of the line chefs like oh chef like and we also got this blah 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 like uh we just just pulled these out of the water and then it's just like dan it's just fucking me and And you're like looking out the window at the truck yeah and they're like look at these crabs yeah yeah i appreciate that i'm curious again with something like this if it's going to inform what what they do going forward like i'm i'm interested a lot of restaurants that have had huge delivery success are like, we need to figure out how to keep this going as a side thing going forward. So I know that. Yeah. Did you, did you read about the, the co-hoggers in uh, Rhode Island? I saw that headline, but didn't read it. No. What's the deal? Just a reminder that for every one regalis or one uh, organization that um, is able to deliver direct to consumers, there are like hundreds that, only function dropping off large quantities to wholesalers. Oh, yeah. Most people cannot adapt in this world. This is just such a Rhode Island story. One anonymous donor uh, donated $600 to provide free clams to Andrade's catch customers. So what happens is anyone spending $24 or more on seafood gets 24 free clams, which according to the story is enough for a pot of chowder. And I just was like, that's so cute. It's enough for a pot of chowder. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just. I gotta say, that is why I enjoy having our local network of reporters. Yeah. Because these stories are so regional. They're so regional. Yeah. All these little things that everybody's doing. Yeah, because we would have missed the chowder. Yeah. With this in mind, I think we should move on to the the grand, our, our, our villain, our nemesis on the show. Ah, the villains. The villains of coronavirus. Big villain, number one. The delivery services. Yes. Again, always. <laughs> Notably, Grubhub. How have they found a way to be more evil? What Grubhub is doing is they're launching a new promotion called Supper for Support. And it's a deal for its customers. $10 discount to diners on Grubhub. Orders of $30 or more between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. The idea... Sounds nice. Well, yeah. The idea is they're trying to spur demand for food and keep these businesses going. The catch is... The restaurants themselves actually have to eat the cost of this. Hmm. The restaurant, it says in the fine print, will fund the full cost for redeemed promotions. And the Grubhub commissions are being charged on the non-discounted total. So they're still going to take their giant commission, which, as we know, can be up to 30% on the original order. And then the restaurant has to pay for the 10 bucks. <laughs> it's it's just so vile. Yeah. Just don't pretend to do just all you have to do is nothing. I know it's that's what makes it so bad. Like, yes, you're a bad partner. We can all accept that. But don't go around pretending you're a good partner with that whole 
you know, press release about how they were giving $100 million to restaurants. No, they weren't. They were deferring fees that they were still planning on collecting. And with this, they're like, oh, we're promoting demand. No, you're not. No. You are just finding more ways to take money from these people. The only thing that I, I got to say is exciting about this, Amanda, is that it. I can't wait to see how they what unique way they find to screw over restaurants before next week. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe they're hard at work trying to find a new scheme. And this week, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren sent letters to the CEOs of Uber, Instacart, DoorDash, and Grubhub, calling on them to stop misclassifying workers as contractors and start offering them minimum wage, paid sick leave, health benefits, and more. Because these are some of the companies that are actually doing well off of this crisis. And it's on the backs of these employees who have no safety net. Yeah. So Liz Warren's still getting out there. Still, I mean, if if they could just put her in charge of this crisis, I would feel so much better. I think that's likely. I think that's something we can we can, we can hold up. <laughs> we can hold out. That, that's for. on the table, right? Yeah. That Maybe happen? Tom Colicchio can get that done. <laughs> yes. Interesting that the number one one of the number one stories on on the website for the last I think week or two has been whether or not it's safe to eat delivery. Yeah. The long story short is that it is, and and I feel like people I'm talking to are taking it different are. are being different levels of careful. Like there are some people right. that are sanitizing all of the exteriors, transferring food from another plate. I think the most important takeaway is it, you can't eat the virus. So, um, if it is, yeah. if someone, I think someone said, Kenji said, this is gross, but if a, if someone infected were to sneeze on your food and then you were to eat it, you would be fine. Yeah. You just don't want them to like sneeze on the, bag that you touch and right. then you touch your face eat with your hands yeah. right yeah so just wash your hands and it all oh and that also reminds me that like whole foods was selling their hand sanitizer right at the front right at the cash and they made a big show of it like we have hand sanitizer and i obviously was like whoa cool a, tr- a collectible and bought one and then i brought it home and it was booze free booze free sand and i was like you can't just put that you have to label that as alcohol. what do you mean there was no alcohol in it it was an anti it was just a, a natural antiseptic based what? called hand sanitizer i know so shady so it doesn't actually kill germs i don't think it actually does anything no <laughs> no they just sold you sham sanitizer <laughs> at whole foods i mean I don't know, like legally, if you can call, I think you can call whatever you want hand sanitizer. Sure, sure. But it's dishonest. It's dishonest to put it up at the front. Yeah. Keep it in the like natural aisle. Just keep that shit Where people in understand the hippie aisle. That is. Okay. Yeah. Get that out of here. It was very much set up like we got some in and it's like, no, you right, didn't. Right, right, right. We, we got it. No, you didn't. Um, what can you tell me about this Jose Andres prayer candle? What is, what does that even mean? Uh, someone made a Jose Andres prayer candle and they sold out immediately, and I love it. Yeah, that's nice. I don't have any. I don't have anything to add. It's just like something to know. Yeah. There is a Jose Andres prayer candle. It's sold out on Etsy in just five hours. Yeah, and all the the well, not all the profits. <laughs> Fifteen hundred dollars of profits will go to World Central Kitchen. Yeah, where <laughs> <laughs> gotta read the fine print is is a great reminder for all things in this time gotta read the fine print <laughs> he does look very he looks very jesus-like i would i would i would yeah i would gift that it's a funny gift i mean he needs it i mean he it's helpful he's doing great work and uh if you ever need a, a little source of joy in this world you can go just see how he's like watching him just walk around one of his sites where he's feeding people and he's got the mask and he's just like okay here's what we're doing today it's just like really nice whoa 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 whoa, whoa. yeah can you do your Jose Andres accent again? That was what really, was that? it came out very <laughs> Brooklyn. 
<laughs> Do you want to give it another shot? Um, yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm just going to edit this out if it's brutal. <laughs> uh, Jose Andres. What does he sound like again? He sounds like... Uh, he sounds very Spanish. Yeah. He has a very thick Spanish accent. Yeah. He sounds like... Um, <clears throat> and and then you take the ceviche. Nope, that was terrible. Okay, <laughs> it's hard. Just, Keep going. It's hard taking it out of the air. Can can this be our new segment where sure. you just honestly, yeah, do can... terrible impressions of wow. uh, noted I'm, industry people? I am not. My impressions are typically okay. I'm an okay impressionist, but it's hard. Uh-huh. Not, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the lag on zoom I've, i'm like saying something and i feel like it's you know not funny but at least light and you're frozen and you're just frozen in such a cold face and, and just i'm like, just like mm, <laughs> this is terrible yeah um in, in per, i you know in person there, there's a reason that people like to do things in person yeah okay let's we're wrapping up amanda what are you doing for uh for dinner this evening oh man well as you heard i have so much fish <laughs> yeah <laughs> So fish tacos again. And I got some greens from my local restaurant who's doing like some takeout. Mm -hmm. So that'll be my go-to. Now that my taste is coming back, I might start baking again. So that will be my weekend project. Yeah. What about you? Shall we touch briefly on the fact that everyone is doing sourdough? Do you have any further thoughts on this? It's, it is interesting. Oh, it is interesting that everyone's doing sourdough. Everyone. I mean, it makes sense. Because it's sourdough is like two tenths of the way to to a cat, you know. <laughs> I guess like on the spectrum like a, of supporting another it's thing. It's a project. Like we talked about this when we did our New Year's resolution episodes. Like it's a great thing when you're at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of a time in your life, whether it's isolation, New Year's. I tried at beginning of maternity leave. It's like this is a project that will make me feel like I have control over my life, and I might learn a thing or two, and. Baking a beautiful loaf of bread is so rewarding. My project is latte art. <laughs> My project is buying bread. Yeah. Buying bread's a good one too. Yeah. But I do have, I have yeast in my house. So maybe I'll make some bread. I made some focaccia. Does sourdough survive? Like in, in your opinion, how long does someone who gets involved in sourdough, like what is the life expectancy mm-hmm. of a sourdough hobby? Of the, of the hobby? I don't know. Five months? A few months? Yeah. Maybe depends do you think that the it does it end in mastery like when you're happy with your sourdough is it not fun anymore i i, I mean i'm the worst at to give this answer because i when things got hard i quit <laughs> like yeah. that's that's just how i operate that's but not I'm how sure some people persevere yeah no they just get better and better and they're like "Ooh, that didn't work let's try again a little differently and i'm like fuck this i can buy bread <laughs> yeah hell yeah <laughs> daniel what are you what are you what are you eating tonight? That was your original question, right? Yeah, so I've been on a cycle of ordering delivery every 2 days and kind of stretching it and then combining it with all the little So no cooking? When my I was living with my roommate for a while and I was cooking every day. But you know what? I can't bring myself to cook if it's not to at least on some level impress somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so Oh my God. That's so funny. The thing I've noticed about living on my own and eating is there's no, there's no start and end to anything in the traditional setting. Like I've made myself a, a blender bottle of protein powder and, and greens powder and it lasted a day and a half. Cause I just have a sip here and there and whatever. I mean, there's no, I don't order delivery food for dinner anymore. I just have it as a, as a, and it, and it, 
and it feeds me for ho- however long as it feeds me. Okay. Because I don't live. I mean, this is a good opportunity to, to just interrogate to in- all of our habits. Yeah. What you is our relationship small, with food? Take small sips all day of your <laughs> disgusting juice. <laughs> I'll have one right now. Oh, wow. Mm. On that note, great to be here with you all. Thank you for listening. Come back again next week. Yeah. Let us know if you have any questions. Digest at eater.com. Yeah. If you have a good food pun, send it to me, dan at eater.com or on Instagram or whatever. And uh, sign up for Amanda Clute's newsletter, which is the best in the game. Well, upper tier. Thanks, Dan. Upper tier. Yeah. No, just kidding. It's best <laughs> in the game. Where do you, where do, do you, we still don't know the link for that. Just search Amanda <laughs> Clute newsletter. Search my newsletter how's it doing it's doing great you know it's a great newsletter slow slow but steady that's all you really want from a newsletter that's all i that's all i I want all i want just like you don't want a couple more spikes of growth i don't need i don't need huge numbers just a couple more people every week yeah to subscribe maybe email me you know um i will see you next week amanda goodbye bye